Father, help us hear the voice of your people today as we sing a song of surrender to you. Hundreds of voices right now, Lord, in this room joining together to say you are the Lord of our lives. We surrender to your will. We surrender to your authority. We surrender to your Holy Spirit's work in our hearts today. Open us, change us, and deliver us to be the people that you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. What a special time. Go ahead and be seated. And let me just start with these words from Psalm 33. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord He is our help and our shield, and in him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. I find great hope and strength in those words, don't you? Bottom line, only those nations who intentionally put themselves, quote, unquote, under God will find God's blessing, God's peace, and prosperity. That is vital for you and and me to understand. As I shared with you last week, and this is part two of last week's sermon, there is a prophetic reality that tells us that we are going to fly right by socialism and communism And we're going headlong, speeding into a form of governance that is a whole nother level of evil, and it's called globalism. And that's what we're going to lean into today. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 2. If you want to take your Bibles and go there with me, we're going to see this great prophetic passage that helps explain to us what we're seeing in our world today and try to make sense of it. Let me catch you up from last week. Globalization is the entire world being interconnected in systems of finance, trade, technology, religion, and government. The development of a single world culture under a single tyrannical leader. That is the definition of globalism. And that's where we're headed. So if you will, let me, let me pick up where we left off last week as I explained to you and we discussed that there are two unstoppable forces in the world today. The first we worked on last week, which is the temporal and natural downward trajectory of all mankind, which is a descriptor of the total depravity of man, that because of our sin, our hearts, the scripture says, are deceitfully wicked desperately wicked and deceitful 
above all things, the scripture says. Who can understand the human heart? We don't even understand our own hearts. How many times have you done something and you're like, where did that come from? Or you saw somebody else do something and you go, where did that come from? How could anybody do that? It's because of the depravity of man, because of our sin. That's why Jesus came and he died for us and he gave his life for us and he shed his blood so that we could be forgiven of sin and we could be released from the chains of sin and death that Satan has brought into our lives. People of the world, because of their willingness to follow their desire for power and authority, have followed, the scripture says, their father, the devil, into his pursuit of rising to the level of God and being like, he said, the most high God. Remember, he set himself up and said, I will rise to the top and I will be like the most high God. And what we discussed last week is that God is not okay with this pursuit of self-exaltation. That's the message for today also that you all need to hear. We all need to hear it. And you're like, well, I'm not into self-exaltation. Well, Maybe you'll rethink that by the time we get done today. Since Adam and Eve sinned of rebellion against God's authority, men and women of the earth like you and me have been turning away from following God, turning away from God being the king of our lives and have put ourselves on the throne of our lives which leads to what we talked about last week, the temporal and natural downward trajectory of all mankind. That was last week, and now we're going to lean into this. There is a prophetic train barreling down the tracks toward the end of all things, and all of those living at the time of its fulfillment of that prophetic word will have a ticket to ride. You remember that song? We've got a ticket to ride. You don't want to have a ticket to ride this train. And there's a warning here today. All right, can you, um, I'm kind of nervous about this sermon because it's kind of a history lesson. What, what it's going to be is, can you deal with that today? Can you just go with me on a history lesson? It's going to feel a little bit like a Bible class or like a, um, an Old Testament survey class, but it's going to end with a cold cup of water and a slap in the face. Are you okay with that? <laughs> I, really, I really told the Lord, I don't want to go this direction. I want to go this direction. He goes, shut up and listen to what I'm saying. Submit to my authority, Phil. So I'm going to, all right? So let's go on a historical trip back to the very beginning. What I want to do is show you from the beginning of time to the end of mankind, the beginning of mankind to the end of mankind in just a few minutes. You're like, right, I'm going to give it a shot. In the beginning, Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. Somewhere in there, I'm not exactly sure when, whether it was before creation, during creation, right after creation, I don't exactly know when, but somewhere in there, Satan, in his pride, Satan was one of the created beings, created angels in heaven. In his pride, tried to exalt himself against God and God's authority, and God cast him out of heaven because of that. He said, I will be like the most high God, and God said, uh, excuse me, no, you're not. And he cast him down out of heaven because he exalted himself 
above God. After that happened, God created the family unit. He created a man and a woman, and he created the family unit, and he established his will for them in the earth. And this is what it was. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. And I will be your God, and you will be my people, and we will live in peace and prosperity. Oh, and by the way, you're going to live forever. How awesome is that? As long as I am your God and you are my people and you submit to my authority, we are going to be just fine. We're going to live in peace and prosperity on the earth. You're going to multiply the earth. You're going to govern over it. And we're all going to live together forever. That was God's plan. Some of you are looking at me like, really? Really? How awesome would it have been? See, the only reason we die physically is because sin entered into the world. Otherwise, Grandma and grandpa, great, great, great grandma and grandpa, Adam and Eve, would be here with us. How awesome would that be? Now, we'd all still be naked in, you know, out in the middle of the garden. I don't know what that would be like, but I mean, don't even think about that anymore. I, should, I shouldn't have said that. Don't even let your, your mind go there. But how, no shame, no guilt, no disease. No sin. Under God's governance, if you let God be your God and you be his people, he takes care of all things. That's where the peace is. That's where the blessing is. That was the plan until Satan shows up one day and he tempts Eve to rebel against God and to adopt his system of rebellion. And Adam and Eve listen and they're convinced that they can be like God too. And so they take of the forbidden fruit. They disobey God. They disobey his clear command. And God casts them out of the garden, the scripture tells us. Now, that seems harsh, right? That God would cast them out of the garden. You know why God cast them out of the garden? Because he's merciful. Had they stayed in the garden and continued to eat of the tree of life, they would live forever in their fallen state. And God says, that's not going to happen. And you can see, if you follow the scriptures, you can see the reduction of the amount of years that people live as time goes on. Because God is merciful. Because we make a mess of everything. And we're going to see that as we go here. So the book of Genesis in chapter 6, we're told that there was a great population explosion at that time. And with it came the results of the downward trajectory of the human heart. In Genesis 6, 5, I'm going to have it on the screen for you. Look at this with me. The Lord observed. He looked at the earth and he observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. So as man expanded, as man, the, the population explosion came wickedness came upon the earth and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil the downward trajectory of the human condition and the human heart there it is right there so the lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth and it broke his heart and the lord said i will wipe this human race i have created from the face of the earth yes and i will destroy every living thing and all the people the large animals the small animals as scurry along the ground and even the birds of the sky i am sorry i ever made them 
But Noah found favor with the Lord. There was one person who was following the Lord. Verse 12 tells us that everyone on earth was corrupt. Everyone on earth was corrupt except Noah. Scripture tells us that Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked close fellowship in close fellowship with God. I want to stop right here and just make a point, okay? It is possible to live a righteous, godly life in the middle of horrible wickedness. When the entire world is against God, when the entire world is going their own way, when the entire world is full of only the greatest wickedness you can imagine, you can stand for righteousness. And you know why I can say that with confidence? Because if Noah could stand as a righteous man in the midst of the corruption of the entire world, Without the Holy Spirit inside of him, you certainly can, possessing the Holy Spirit inside of you to give you the power and strength to overcome all that, that, you, that your natural desire wants to go towards. You have the ability to live, and we are called to live righteous lives in the midst of the greatest wickedness we may ever experience in our lifetimes, which is coming our way. Noah did it. And God saw that, and Noah found favor, and God destroyed everyone with the flood, just like he said he was going to. But he spared a remnant of men and animals on the ark, and after the waters receded, get this now, God released Noah and his family, released all the animals out into the world, and this is what God said. Be fruitful and multiply. Govern the earth. I will be your God and you will be my, my people. Does that sound familiar at all? Can I just tell you something? God never changes. Even today, God's will is, I will be your God, you will be my people, seek first my kingdom and righteousness, and I'll take care of you. That's still God's plan of governance on this planet. So here we go again. God starts over. The earth fills up with people, the scripture tells us, and a leader rises up named Nimrod, a wicked leader who many believe became the architect of the first attempt on the planet of globalization. You can read about it as he actually establishes the empire of Babylon by taking over other nations the great Babylon, the great enemy of God's people Israel that you're gonna read about later on when you get into the scriptures, how Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar, we're gonna talk about in just a bit, comes and captures and takes God's people captive. Nimrod led the people of the earth to build a great tower called the Tower of Babel. You still with me? You following me? I'm just taking you this big old oversight to all of mankind and what men tried to do on this earth. And in Genesis 11:4, the scripture tells us that Nimrod and the people said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Isn't this just classic men and women of the earth? 
This is called rebellion against God's power. This sounds a lot like our father, the devil, before we're saved. The devil said, I will rise to the highest mountain and I will be like the most high God. I will make a name for myself. And this is what God, the people of the earth tried to do at the Tower of Babel. Can you see the pattern of self-exaltation? This is what men and women of the earth do. Please don't make the mistake of sitting here right now and say, I would never be like that. Because I would submit to you, we're like that all the time. We might not be out making bricks to build our tower, but we are making our towers. We are building our little towers of self-exaltation. God's not okay with that. God opposed that self-exaltation and pride and confuses their language at the Tower of Babel so that they could not achieve their goals. That's what the scripture said. I'm gonna confuse them. They won't be able to talk to each other and make this thing happen. I don't want them to accomplish this. This is not my will. And so the people dispersed because they couldn't, they couldn't understand each other. And so the groups of people with the different the common languages, they all grouped up together and then they scattered throughout the rest of the world. And God starts over again with a man called Abraham. He comes to Abraham and he makes a covenant with him and he says, Abraham, I will make a great nation from you. Are you listening? I will be your God and you will be my people. If you'll listen to me, I will prosper you. I will make you a great nation. I will be your God and I will be your king. And that's how they lived for a while. And God's people were prospered and God's people grew. Until one day, God's people cried out and they went to Samuel the prophet and they said, we want a king to govern over us. And Samuel said, what are you talking about? God is your king. No, we want a king. And this is, get this, don't miss this. We want to be like all the other nations. All the other nations were self-exaltation, were self-exalting. They wanted to be, to have a name for themselves. They wanted to take over the whole planet. That was the goal of all the other nations. And they said, we don't want you, God, to be our king anymore. We want our own king so we can be like everybody else in the world. And God's like, what's wrong with you? Samuel was like, no. Samuel goes and tattles on him and he tells the Lord, he says, the people are crying out for a king. And God says, listen, he calls it out for what it was. He says in 1 Samuel 8, 7, they're not rejecting you, Samuel, they're rejecting me. They don't want me to be their king any longer. They want to follow other gods. And he let them have their way. But he warned them. He said, it's not gonna go well for you. And sure enough, over time, the Babylonians, remember that name? It was the beginning of Nimrod when Nim that Nimrod brought up. The Babylonians, under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar, came and conquered the kingdom of Judah, took God's people captive, destroyed their capital city, Jerusalem. Which brings us to the unveiling of the second unstoppable force at work in our world today with King Nebuchadnezzar. And that is this, the eternal prophetic reality of the end of all mankind as we know it. 
King Nebuchadnezzar was one of the most powerful people on the planet at that time and had established a one-world governing system under his rule through the conquering of all area nations. He has successfully globalized the entire world in his time. One nation, get this now, one nation under one tyrannical ruler. Question, is God okay with this? From what you know so far, is God okay with this? No, absolutely not. And so God visits him one night with a dream. By the way, a dream that he couldn't remember. You remember you wake up, you have these nightmare dreams where you wake up all sweaty and you know you had a nightmare, but you don't remember what it was and you certainly don't know why you dreamed it. I had a nightmare last night, right before my alarm went off this morning. I dreamed I was preaching at a church. Some church that invited me to preach. I was on the backstage and I had to go to the bathroom. I was like, I gotta I got go. I'm not gonna make it through the sermon. I said, where's your bathroom? They said, in the basement. So I go down to the basement of the church. I go down there, I'm looking around. I see a bunch of people lined up on a wall and I'm like, well, there I go. I go in there and I'm going to the bathroom in my dream. And I get the sense that I'm standing next to a woman and I looked down the line and there's a whole line of women. I was at a baby changing station. And I wake up, my alarm goes off and it wakes me up and I'm like, how come I remember that? Why did I, do you ever get that? Why did I dream this dream? What is the meaning of this? What is the purpose? Rob Staley, I'm gonna come ask you. You're a seer, you're gonna have to tell me what that means. I gotta tell you, I, I did go to the bathroom right before I came up here, though, because I didn't want that to happen. <laughs> I'm so troubled. Robin is gonna just kill me for telling you that. God visits Nebuchadnezzar. Why did I tell you? God visits Nebuchadnezzar and gives him a dream that he can't remember and doesn't understand. And so he calls all the magicians, the sorcerers, and all the wise men together that he can muster in the nation, in the world, and he commands them. This is the commandment. You tell me what I dreamed and what it means, or I'm going to kill you, and then I'm going to go, this is the scripture, I'm going to go rip your wives and children into pieces. Pretty strong. They all came to him, and their response was, your majesty, there is not a man on earth who can do what you're asking. It's impossible. I just want to remind you of something, okay? With man, these types of things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And God had a man in place. God always has a man in place. And his name was Daniel. He was a young Hebrew slave. He was living in prosperity in Jerusalem and the Babylonians came and took them captive and then brought some of the young Hebrews in to be living in the palace as a slave to the king. And Daniel was one of those. And God had given Daniel the ability to see and interpret dreams. And through a whole circumstance, all circumstances that come together, he is standing, he finds himself standing before the king and Nebuchadnezzar asks him, look at Daniel chapter two now with me. Daniel, Daniel chapter two, verse 26. 
Nebuchadnezzar says, is this true, Daniel? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? And listen to Daniel's response. There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. And I'm sure the king is upset right now because he's like, yeah, that's what everybody else just told me. And I'm ripping their children and wives apart right now. But there is a God in heaven, Daniel says. There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. What we're about to talk about is God's plan and what God is showing us from Nebuchadnezzar's time until the end of all mankind. You dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. Jump to verse 31. In your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. If you notice that the precious metals are deteriorating as we go here, getting less and less of value. The head of statue were, uh, sorry, legs of iron. Its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay, verse 34. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashed them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away with a, without a trace, like chaff on the threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. That was the dream. Now I'm gonna tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you the ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. I want to just pause right there and say, when you are exalted and God gives you a position, you better acknowledge that it is God who puts you in that position, just like Daniel is saying to him, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're the greatest man on the earth right now, but it is not because you're great, it's because God is great, and he puts you in that place. Understand that, King. Verse 39, but after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise to take your place. After that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom, represented by bronze, will rise to rule the world. Following that kingdom, there will be a fourth one, as strong as iron. That kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires, just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. The feet and toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay, showing that this kingdom will be divided. Like iron mixed with clay, it will have some of the strength of iron. But, will, but while some parts of it will be as strong as iron, other parts will be as weak as clay. This mixture of iron and clay also shows that these kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves by forming alliances with each other through intermarriage, but they will not hold together just as iron and clay do not mix. Here's what I want to help you understand. What you just read, what we just read together, is the clearest prophetic vision of the downward progression of mankind on this planet from Nebuchadnezzar's day in 600 BC till the return of Christ at the end of the tribulation. 
It describes the prophetic world history under man's constant attempts at globalization and self-exaltation. Their desire, men and women's desire of the earth, to rise to be like the most high God. Here's a picture of the statue that he saw in his dream. The gold being the Babylonian empire that rose and, rose and fell. The chest of silver with two arms represents the Medo-Persian empire that rose to power, conquered, and fell. The stomach and the thighs of bronze was the Greek empire under Alexander the Great that rose, conquered, and fell. The legs of iron was the Roman Empire that rose, conquered under the great Caesars of its time and then fell. The feet and toes is the final world empire that will rise in the last days. We have yet to see the feet and the toes, but we have seen everything else. All of this in this dream has come to pass and will come to pass because it is prophetic. The world has been dominated by these four great globalized empires. But since the fall of the Roman Empire, no single nation or empire has dominated the world. They've been strong. The United States of America has been a very strong force, right? We've seen the rise and fall of Germany. We've seen the rise and fall of all kinds of different nations. But none of them have dominated the world. But a fifth empire is coming that we have not seen yet. It is coming in the at the end of the tribulation, and they will call it the revived Roman Empire, comprised of 10 kings or kingdoms, led by, get this now, one tyrannical leader whose name is Antichrist. And at a time of great world chaos, at a time of worldwide crisis, and they don't know, we don't know exactly what that is. Some believe it's the rapture of the church that will bring this global chaos. Some believe it's a pandemic, like we just came through, but even worse. Some believe it is nuclear war on the planet. Whatever it is that takes place, there is some kind of world chaos that is going on, and the Antichrist will rise to power and will establish what is known as the one world government that will ultimately march against God's people Israel in an attempt to wipe out God's people from the planet. But I want you to see what happens in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. Come on, go there with me. You hanging on with me? I know, this is like a seminary lesson, right? Daniel 2, verse 44. During the reigns of those kings, he's talking about the kings, the ten toes, okay, and the two feet. During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and get this, it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king, you king, 
can Nebuchadnezzar. What will happen in the future? The dream is true and its meaning is certain. And I want you to hear, my friends, Jesus Christ is that rock that will come down from heaven. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 8 tells us that he will slay the man of lawlessness with just the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Here's like an epic picture that I found that kind of describes this in my mind's eye. This is God coming down. This is Christ coming down, the rock that was hewn out of the mountain that will come and crush every attempt of man to set themselves up at the level of God and be like the most high God. Jesus Christ, my friends, there is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue can, will confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. No one else is, the, is Lord. No one else is king. And Jesus is. Zechariah talks about this. This is actually described as the climax of human history when Jesus will return on a white horse followed by the armies of heaven to crush the armies of Armageddon that are coming against God's people and coming against the Antichrist. And Zechariah prophesied that all the nations will gather to fight against Jerusalem. And in Zechariah 14.2, it says this, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations. And on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. And on that day, there will be one Lord, and his name alone will be worshipped. Isaiah tells us that the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And his government and its peace will never end. God will establish his kingdom forevermore at this point. Never again will man rise up against him like that, like he has in all of history, of human history. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity the zeal of the Lord Almighty will make this happen. I will be your God, and you will be my people. Okay, are you ready? Here's the cup of cold water and the slap in the face. The thing that started this downward trajectory of the human heart was the desire to exalt ourselves to the level of God who has made it clear, I alone am God, I am God, and there is no one like me. You have to accept that truth. Please accept that truth. Our world is trying to tell us and Satan's trying to convince us all that that is not true. But God said in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not share my glory or praise with anyone. My friends, please listen to the word of truth. James 4, 10 says this, God opposes the proud but gives favor to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives favor to the humble. We can see this down through all of the history of mankind. 
How many times have we read in the scriptures and have we seen men and women who rise up and say, I'm all full of myself, I'm going to exalt myself, and God says, no, you're not, and I will show you, and I will prove to you. Do you remember King Nebuchadnezzar that we talked about? Remember King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon? God delivered another dream to King Nebuchadnezzar, a dream of his future great humiliation if he doesn't change his ways. Daniel was called to interpret that dream as he was called in before. And this is what he says, the interpretation of the dream. This is what he, Daniel said this to King Nebuchadnezzar. If you don't change your ways, you will be cut down and driven from society. You're the greatest man in the earth right now, but if you don't change... This is what's going to happen to you. For seven years, you will eat grass in the fields with the wild animals. You will be like one of those wild beasts, and on your hands and knees, you will graze in the fields until you learn that the Most High God rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. And Daniel ends with this exhortation to the greatest king on the planet. Please accept my advice, he says. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Perhaps then God will spare you from the judgment that he has prophesied in your life. Nebuchadnezzar refused to listen. And the Bible says that 12 months later, a year later, while overlooking his kingdom, he said in Daniel 4.30, Look at this city of Babylon. He's walking along his rooftop and he's looking over everything and he says, by my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. And the scripture says, while these words were still in his mouth, he heard a voice from heaven saying, you fool! Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will eat grass like a cow for seven years. Here's an artist's rendition of this. For seven years, he crawled around out in the fields like an, like an animal, lost his mind, and he lived that way, the scripture says, until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. And after seven years of humble grazing, he said in his own words, I came to my senses. And this is what he wrote. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, will praise, exalt, and glorify the king of heaven because all those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Daniel chapter four, verse 34 says, he goes on to say, God's rule is everlasting. These are the words of King Nebuchadnezzar. His kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? And my response when I read that is, ah, now you're getting it, Neb. Now you're fully understanding 
that he is God and he is king and he alone is God and no one else is and no one else ever will be. I just want to say to you, the way to exaltation is through humility. The way up is down. And James says, submit yourself to God. We sang about that earlier today. Come near to him. Wash your hands of sin and purify and humble your hearts before him. And when you do, God will exalt you in his time. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I just want to say this. You know I love you, right? Right? Some of us need to hear this message today and take a lesson from Nebuchadnezzar because I'm really, I don't understand the woman's mind like I understand the man's mind. And I understand, guys, what we're like. And I just feel like I need to say that some of you are spending way too much time and effort building your own tower building your own kingdom, exalting yourself, following your plan, following your way. And the message to you today, if that is the case, and you know in your heart if God's speaking to you in that way, the message to you today is stop. Put God on on the throne of your life. Stop exalting yourself. Stop serving yourself. Stop following after the wickedness that's in your heart that's always wanting to pull you away. Stop following that and submit your way to the Lord and then you will prosper. Submit your way to the Lord and you will live in peace and blessing. The only joy in this life you will find is under the rule and governance and authority of God and the authority of his word over your life. Jesus said, you want your future to be taken care of? Anybody in the the room except me worried about the future every once in a while? One person, two people, thank you for being. I'm like... I don't know. I, don't, I, told the, I told the deacons and elders we had a retreat yesterday. I told them, I said, I don't know how to lead into the future. I don't know what the future holds. But the Bible is clear. If God is on the throne of your life and God's word is controlling your life, Jesus said, Matthew 6, seek my kingdom, which is my will for your life, and my righteousness. Live the way I've told you to live. I'll take care of everything else. I got everything else. You don't need to be worried one day, one moment. You just concentrate on putting me on the throne of your life. Follow my word. Follow my will. And I'll take care of you. I will be your God. And you will be my people. I don't even know how to really bring this to a close except to say the invitation for all of us today, whether you're in this room, online at home, 
wherever you are, the message is submit your way to the Lord. That's what he wants from his people. Confess your sin of wandering. Confess your sin of self-exaltation. And get back on God's program of governance. Submit your way to his will and to his word. And live in light of that. I have to say this also. It takes humility to find any kind of success in God's plan. And I just want you to know that it takes humility to realize and understand that you are lost and you're a sinner and you need salvation. And I would ask anybody here who does not know the Lord, who has never confessed their sin before the Lord, please, please, like Daniel pleaded with Nebuchadnezzar, please, before it is too late, confess your sin to the Lord. Make him the Lord of your life. Put him on the throne of your life so that you can be saved and you can be saved today. I would love to help you with that. Don't leave this building without salvation. Don't click off without salvation on your device. Reach out to us. Did you know that like three weeks ago or two weeks ago, or whatever it was, we had five people get saved online. They reached out to our prayer team. You have this place, I guess you can raise your hand. I want to accept Christ. And we're working to try to connect with them and help them walk in the way with the Lord. Listen, salvation is available today. Humble your heart and receive it. Let's stand together and let me pray over you. Father, help us. Help us to live like you want us to live as your people. You are God and King, and we, your humble servants, Help us to walk in that today and give strength to any of my brothers and sisters who need to turn from their way of self-exaltation or need to turn from their sinful ways and come into salvation. I pray that you'll give them the strength and the help by your spirit to make the change today to live for you. And I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. I love you. Thanks for your attentiveness. Go out and live for Jesus today, all right? Thank you so much for joining us for this morning's online service. Our hope is that it ministered to your heart deeply and we pray that it inspires you to love God, love people, and influence our world with the gospel of Christ. If you made a spiritual decision today or you'd like prayer in your life, we'd invite you to fill out an online connection card by clicking on the link. If you haven't downloaded our church app yet, now's a great time. It has tons of resources and opportunities that you can take advantage of. Finally, you can check out our website, fbclcart.org, to stay connected with us. We hope you have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you right back here next week, same time.